0: take it back for those who don't know because I, I i've been living in atlanta for uh over two decades now i'm originally from philadelphia germantown uh to be exact between germantown and west philly you know my story starts simply like you know i grew up in a hip-hop generation i you know i remember run dmc first doing their thing and wanting some adidas and trying to get my parents to you know cop me some and they, they actually didn't get me the ones with the three stripes and i was salty going to school and everything um you know, my I feel like for me, it was really the movie Juice. I went to go see the movie Juice when I was in, in in middle school, about to go to high school, and that was that was the first time I ever saw like a DJ on a big screen, like, you know, really doing this doing this thing and like actually visualizing and seeing, you know, Omar Epps's character GQ um, you know, cutting and scratching and making a demo tape and, and going to a battle and everything and You know, I feel like a lot of DJs that are around my age have kind of a similar story that Juice was a big inspiration for them. Um, You know, I've heard Green Lantern say the same thing. And, you know, I convinced my mom to buy me one turntable and a mixer. And I basically just started like with one turntable and a mixer. And, you know, around that same time, my, my sister, my older sister, had brought me to New York during the summertime. And I went to 125th Street in Harlem. When they used to have, you know, everybody would have the vendors outside and, you know, be selling oh. everything. And I bought my first mixtape. And, you know, it was it was a it was a collection of mixtapes at the time. They would just have the names on them. And I bought this tape, DJ SNS Old School Part Two. Ooh, and so nice. the, the reason why I bought that tape is because when I first started like buying records, I would I would save my lunch money and I would buy records. And the the songs that S&S had on that tape, I didn't have the vinyl for. So I bought that tape, and it changed my life. I mean, I knew knew it from beginning to end. You know, I was fascinated by how S was, you know, putting this shit together, how he was cutting everything he was saying on the tape. And that started my fascination with, like, mixtape culture. You know, around that time, Clue was becoming Clue. I remember going to high school and feeling like I was ahead of the curve because I had a Clue tape. And, you know, he had records on there that, you know, people weren't aware of. And, you know, I, I started making my own mixtapes around this time. There was a DJ named doo who made a tape called 95 Live. Exactly. And I made a I made a version called Illadelph. I basically bit the shit out of doo and made a Philly version called Illadelph. And, you know, around this time, it was this group that was, you know, heralded around Philly. They they had been doing their thing. They got a record deal with Geffen, and they were, named, they were called The Roots. And they you know i used to see questlove on south street um uh black thought used to you know be around and everything and i was still a little a little younger than they were you know they were they were a couple of years ahead of me um in age but you know it was because of it was because of watching the roots get a record deal and seeing them perform and watching their video be on Yarm you know, tv raps and, and 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 uh and, and uh rap city that I was like, man, you can really do this shit. Like, this shit can really happen. Like, you know, I watched in the front of my eyes these guys that used to play on South Street now are on television and, and you know, opening up for the Fujis and situations like that. So uh, I was doing my thing in Philly, had a little name for myself. And then, you know, it was time for me to... I, I was graduating school. I was looking at various colleges and everything. I took a trip to Atlanta um, with my father, Uh, around the time outcast was putting out that album and i just you know i felt like atlanta like you know if anybody's been down there if you know people of color uh black and brown people like we we run the city you know and it's, it's 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 it was just a different a different energy and a different feel and i felt like okay this is a good place for me to you know not only go to school but also be able to do my thing so i went to atlanta and attended clark atlanta university and that's how i got there
1: that's fine. Shout to CAU in the building. It's very important that, that Atlanta chapter in your life, because to be honest with you, you know, since New York was always an like East Coast and a New York based thing, and the mixtape culture, and you know, Clue, and you know, Bounce Master, you know, and you know, Ron G, and that whole culture, you know. But when it came to Atlanta, like honestly, for me coming from New York, going to Atlanta a lot is when you hit Atlanta and you start first hearing the buzz of like the mixtape culture down there. And, like, what you were doing down there, the drops that you had were epic. You know what I'm saying? Some of those things are, are legendary. Right. You know what I'm saying? And, like, I want to know, like, what's the point when you were sitting there? Because I remember looking at that, that Jeezy tape. Because then my first introduction to you was that Jeezy shit. I ain't even going to front. Trap or Die? You know what I'm saying? Like, tra- it wasn't Trap was the, the one before, before Streets is watching. Streets is watching. Okay. And they had this video where Jeezy had the SK. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? He was, like, cocking it and shit, jumped in the Lambo. I was like, what the fuck? You know what I'm saying? And then I went to Atlanta like a week later and I'm with the Patchwork Studios. All these Jeezy flies. And she was like, who the fuck is this? You know what I'm saying? And I kept hearing dramatic affiliates. Like, you know what I'm saying? These ill-ass drops. You know what I'm saying? I was like, yo, who is this? You know? But it's the culmination of that inspiration from the New York mixtape culture and also talking about the Atlanta. Like, like how, how did you mesh that together? Because right. as a New York guy going to Atlanta for years, I ain't still figured it out like you did. You know, I just feel I still feel like a stranger in Atlanta. I I, I really don't adapt. I I don't even understand the language half the time. I just say yes. You know what I
0: mean? Like, yeah, let's roll it. That's a good question. I mean, you know. Again, I I think when the story is told and, and, and it's it's put in perspective for history, I think it's very important that, you know, this kid from Philly moves to Atlanta and is a part of, like, you know, changing, like, southern hip-hop mixtape scene, you know, what trap music was at that time, you know what I mean? Like, so when I got to Atlanta, like, there was there was this um, crew called Big Oomp, DJ Jelly, yep. DJ Monte, Legends in the City, you know, who pretty much had, like, the mixtape game on Smash. Like, they was killing shit, you know? And I, I was, like, I was hustling my tapes myself, like, on campus. I would go to, like, spellman or georgia state and i would set set up my table and i would have like all types of tapes i would have like a, a up north tape I would have a neo soul tape a reggae tape and people would be like who's DJ drama and i'd be like i don't know i work for the guy he just he tells me to be here and i'm here and i sell his tapes you know what i'm saying cuz you know I, I felt felt like they'd be like i'm oh you're selling your own shit i'm not buying that yeah, yeah, yeah. um so you know like I couldn't compete with what was going on up top when it came to Up North Tapes. Like, I, with, with rest in peace to my, my brother Slay and, you know, with Clue and Who Kid and everybody was doing, like, I couldn't get to that music fast enough. So I was like, all right, let me focus on, you know, Southern hip-hop, you know? And at the time, I literally came up with the idea of gangster Girls just sitting around playing with words in my crib. You know, and it sounded like a, you know, two words that felt good together you know what I'm saying and and you know when I started making the the mixtapes I was paying attention to what Dipset was doing what 50 was doing you know well who cared what Green Lantern was doing like and I was I was like loving it you know what I mean and and what was going on in the south at the time wasn't that you know I remember somebody telling me like listen if you make a tape and it has southern southern hip-hop on it they don't want to hear people screaming and talking and freestyles and, you know, new music and none of that. And I was like, man, fuck all that. I'm going to do it this way. So I literally took a format, a formula that was popular up north and I applied it to southern hip hop. And then at the same time, I was feeling like it was a time when, you know, with all due respect to what crunk music was, like people weren't looking at artists in the south and giving them their just do when it came to lyrics and, you know, what we consider like hip hop outside of the outside of the south of what party music was so i wanted to like you know i was putting people like killer mike and and ti and you know big boy and Outkast and you know people like that on tapes and having them host them and following the formula that was going on you know outside of you know up 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 north and and it worked you know next thing i know you know i got with i got with tip you know, I, I met T.I. very early on when I got out of school and I was like, OK, here's somebody that, you know, I always knew the importance of a DJ and an artist connection and how that could be just studying hip hop history, whether it be Eric B and Rakim or Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince or 50 and Who Kid or, you know, slaying with uh, what a dip set was doing, you know. So Tip gave me a form, uh, the, the, the opportunity to do like one project, one Gangsta Girls with just one artist. And Ti was the first one that I did that with, and that's really how the Gangsta Girls mixtape series was, became what it is. That was, was
1: the that, PSC one.
0: That was the that was the, the PSC, PSC. Uh, in the streets meets was, Gangsta Girls.
2: Was that the moment you realized this could be a viable business, or is um, this still like a passion project, hobby?
0: Say, so you know, I was, you know, I, I didn't have no job, so or no quote unquote real job. Like when I got out of when I got out of college, I was. I was hustling my mixtapes, you know, I was still kind of working in the clubs a little bit. But for me, it was like, the mixtape was just a calling card. It it always felt so much bigger as a DJ to make mixtapes, you know, because I I knew how much they traveled. And, you know, when I think about mixed DJs, to me, the ones that I I always look towards were always ones that were mixtape culture, you know what I mean? So
2: were you trying to make money or you was trying
0: to Oh,
3: get, I was definitely get, trying to make money right. for sure. So, like so when when was the time that you felt you could scale this into a business? Was it when you got into the industry, when you got became an A&R? Like when what was the moment? Was it before, when you got knocked by the feds? Like what was the moment you figured you could turn this into a million dollar business for yourself? Um it it was definitely before the feds. You know, it was like I,
0: I had kind of, I was I was moving mixtapes and everything, and gangster Girls was becoming a thing. I still had, for a, a, a time period, felt like the bootleggers were making more money than I was, and then I, I kind of put myself, uh, you know, I hired somebody to work for me, and you know, they kind of helped me put a system together, and I just started to see my bank account go up and up and up and up, and it was, you know, it was something brand new for me, you know, it went from. Four figures, the five figures, the six figures, and I was like, yeah, "Oh, I'm, I'm on to something."
1: Because, like, because I'm just going off the rumor I heard. I heard that Trapper Die was over. It was, it was, it was gold in the street. Like over five hundred thousand physical mixtapes circulating through the south. So that's a lot of fucking money. Yeah, that's I didn't a make lot a, of ten dollars. I didn't make
0: all that money, but I mean, there was a a lot of those were given away as well. But you think, I mean, even if I was selling CDs wholesale, you know. Back then, you would sell a CD for like you could get like three, four dollars. You know what I mean? Wholesale people were buying like six, six hundred, eight hundred of them. Very, every store off at the time. So you know, I was
1: or, or sell the master, right?
0: Yeah, I, I kind of came after the master era okay. a little bit, but you know that that was a little option too. So you know, I just started. You know, next day I look up and you know it's a I'm making forty, fifty, sixty, seventy grand a month. Off of mixtapes. but you're still but, in school? But, but no, he, I'm out of school already.
3: You got to figure, like, he was one of the people in the midst of that era that was responsible for shifting hip-hop to Atlanta in the South. Like, it came from the crunk music and then it went right into the Jeezy era, into the, the drama era. Like, it was so instrumental that this is why I reached out to drama to do right. the Gangsta Grills back in, like, 05 or 06 right. because Gangsta Grills was hitting so much that... History was hitting on L.A., Miami, the South, New York. It was like right. that was like the he turned himself into the go-to. If you could get a Gangster Grill going, he was already he was gonna pop. That helped. That helped a lot of artists turn into gold and platinum artists after doing Gangster Grill mixtapes.
1: And they also got deal flow because of that.
0: Yeah, I mean, Gangster Grills became like, you know, synonymous with like the rollout. You know what I mean? It was like, all right, if you have a new artist and he's Sign into a a major label, it'd be like, you got to get them in double XL, you got to get them on 106 and Park, you got to get a gangster Grills. Like I, I literally became part of the marketing plan. You know what I'm saying? And you know, at a, at a time, at a time where it started out as like just Southern artists, you know, then I was able to branch out, and then you know, artists outside of Atlanta became started to reach out to me, like Jim, like. Um, I mean, I, I've done a tape with so many people, I don't even know where to start. But I was, you know, it was Pharrell was calling me to do a Gangster Grills. And, right.
2: Did you have a selection criteria, or was anybody who wanted to get that? Well,
0: interestingly enough, when I first started it, like it was a it was a Southern mixtape series, and then you next next thing you know, people who weren't Southern artists or trap artists started wanting Gangster Grills. So I remember when when Pharrell called and said I want to do a Gangster Grills, there were certain people that looked at me like. What you gonna do a tape a gangster Girls with Pharrell or Little Brother called to do a gangster Girls it was like Little Brother like how does this make sense and I was like all right watch this that's interesting you feel what I'm saying and I'm like you know I I come from the cloth like I'm
3: you gonna make it happen
0: yeah, yeah I'm you know everything my, I, I I live and breathe hip hop like I'm I'm gonna make this shit work and watch how my shit sounds with Pharrell on it a Little Brother or when I take it up top and you know me and Jim made a classic which was actually. The last tape I made right before the feds came and got me, oh, I was riding around listening not, to seven. Day. He had nothing had, to do with it, that but that's that, that's how that's how big we had gotten. You know what I'm saying? I know, I was, you was doing the seven the day theory, retarded, like
3: retarded, retarded. But now here's another question. So, was it all the work you put in in the mixtape mix circuit the reason that you ended up getting the job inside of one of the labels? Which was the first label that you got hired at?
0: So. The way it really happened was Tip was already signed to Atlantic. Um, Gangster Girls had gotten so hot that I started getting offers at major labels, literally across the board. You know, I met—I feel like I met with—I met with SRC. I met with Loud. I think Def Jam had offered me something. You know, I had—I had various people offering me like an album deal at the time, and you know, because of my loyalty to to Grand Hustle and a Tip, and, you know, us coming up together. I did my original deal over at Atlantic, so I wound up in that system over there, and it was at a time when, like, um, Michael Kaiser and Julie Greenwald had, had left over at Def Jam and went to Atlantic. Craig Kalman was over there. And so I did my first two albums at, in the Atlantic system. You know, the, the the situation happened with the feds, and, you know, Atlantic was like, oh, this is, you can't pay for this type of promotion. They, they was like, how fast can you get the album done? So, you know, I did two albums over there. Um, and then I wound up leaving. There's, I, I wound up leaving Atlantic and, and going to E1 and then doing a couple albums over there. But I was still kind of using some of my people that had worked with me over at Atlantic. And because of the success that I started to have with my own records and, uh, and the albums that I was doing, the opportunity presented itself for me to go back to Atlantic, but as an A&R. During this time, I started building a studio in Atlanta called Mean Street Studios. Exactly. So when I was building Mean Streets, I went to Atlantic. It was like, oh, by the way, you know, beyond hiring me as an A&R, I also have this facility that might come in handy for y'all if y'all want to, you know, Partner up and, and be partners and yeah. have have a yes. have a spot in Atlanta.
3: Now let's talk about the business of that because this is what this show is all about. Did the, the finesse? Now
1: that definitely because was I
3: know I know all about the finesses. I built my own studio in New York that I had for eight years, but the way you did it was wow and it's still wow because it's still there like so absolutely play let's not downplay you built a compound that was like the number one spot for anybody that had an artist coming to Atlanta to be a part of this step in the building just to be there to even give you a high five or get on the radio show or make a record or just anything around still to this day you dig but the science in doing that and making the label end up cutting checks for that is phenomenal so I want you to break that down
0: I mean like Jim said you know as I was building it, you know, it's like I always, I always say it's like the fill, it's like fill the dreams, you know. I don't know if anybody's ever seen that movie, but you know, that movie is inspiring in a sense because it's like the, 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 the concept of that movie is if you build it, they will come. You know, when I first started building Mean Streets, I was doing the shit out of my pocket. You know what I mean?
1: And you had mad competition with like.
0: I mean, yeah, it was, it's, a, it's a thousand studios, studios in Atlanta. Atlanta. You know, yeah. Atlanta's a studio hub. It's, it's studios all around. And, you know, for me, the first thing I did was build my radio room and I, where I do my serious Shade 45 show from. So it was a way for me to invite people there because they would come to my show. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, by the way, I got a, I got a studio room over here. And it's, I'm building one over here down the hallway. So, you know, then people would come and be like, okay, cool. Let me book some time. So when I went to Atlantic... And told them, you know, and, and me becoming an A&R over there, when, I can't, when it came to Mean Streets, I was able to have them pay for me to build the rest of the studio out.
1: Because it's to their advantage as well. It,
0: yeah, I mean, you know, they're partners with me. So I was able to use the label's money to, f- to finish building a studio and to finish building a building that at first I was using
1: my money. And then their money came in and, you know, I look up and I'm like, oh, bet this worked out perfectly. The funny thing is, is that, honestly, we're looking at you and Jim, Is like, you guys are, are, are executives. Like, you are chief executives, you know? And really, to use this, to any artist that's out there, to be able to use that hustle, to be able to make the system work for you. And you have two cases right here, because I've been at Jim's studio, he had this shit for like 10 years, you know what I'm saying? I've been to Mean Streets and I watched that you guys basically created a catch-all for all the young talent that was clueless or didn't have a way to go or a place or a home, and these resulted in in quality projects, and, and these, some of these projects turned into careers, you know? So my whole thing is like, you know, when I'm thinking about you as, as this chief executive that took his passion, turned his passion into a business, then turned that business into a brand, leveraged that brand with that leverage, you'd be able to then turn around and leverage the fact that you had the access to the talent, had the labels pay you for it, you know what I'm saying, right. and then turn around and create... Damn near Grammy-winning projects, Mm -hmm. award-winning projects, over and over again, and then create and then have the streets on lock, you know. So it's it's really a fantastic story. The the key word you you said in that all that was
2: brand. The brand.
1: The brand. You built your
3: brand.
2: I wanted to ask you. So as we move into the future of music, right? We have all kinds of new technology, new revenue streams, NFTs. Like the whole industry is changing. Everything is changing in the world. And it feels like now artists have to be more than artists; they have to be brands. Right. Were you thinking about that back then?
0: I was. I was. I was thinking about that early on. Like even when I think about like when I went to school, I went to school for like uh, mass communications, radio, TV, film. But for me, the most important class was my marketing class. Yeah. Like when I was in my marketing class, it was like I was learning so much. I was learning so much about. Just how I could use that to my advantage for my mixtape hustle.
2: What's something that you learned that you, uh, that that you held forever that took you is, to the next level?
0: You I ain't do? gonna lie, forget them now. But there's something called the four P's. I don't remember what they stand for, but some uh, somebody in here might know. But you can look, know the four P's. You can you can look them up. But I learned that in marketing, and I was able to apply the four P's to everything that I was doing with my mixtape hustle. You know, at that point, and then just just beyond that, like. You know, early on, even with the mixtapes, like the, I knew how important it was, like the the cover and right. you know the 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 whole packaging was. Like my my goal was, if somebody went into a store and they saw a DJ Drama Gangsta Grills, they didn't need to know what was on it. Right. They just wanted that because it said Gangsta Grills.
3: Is it preparation prevents poor poor performance?
0: I think so. I think that's what, what it is. What was
3: that? See, yeah. Prepar- Proper a- preparation pre- prevents poor performance. performance. It's yep. the five P's, I think.
1: Proper the five preparation Ps. prevents poor performance. <laughs> we got a We got a real one over Shout here. Shout out to Capo. Yeah.
0: Um, so, yeah. So so early on, like branding, I knew the importance of, of branding. Like Even for me, it was like, all right, I'm going to make Gangsta it. Girls a brand before people even know who DJ Drama was. People knew Gangsta Girls before they knew who I was. Before they knew what I looked like, none of that. Like, people didn't know what I looked like until the Jeezy Trap DVD. So, in this day
2: and age. They
0: thought I looked like beef.
1: Like, uh, yeah, honestly, what? I thought you
2: looked thought like beef. like I
0: that. Lie. When they I heard lie. my I voice
1: lie. on the tape. I thought you was like a fat, yeah, they thought bearded, I looked like black, dark skinned <laughs> man, <laughs> Wait. you know, with a bald head, and headphones on all the time. So, know? let me
2: ask, in this day and age, what's more important, selling a product or the brand?
0: What's more important, selling a product or a brand? When it comes
3: to. Music.
2: To the music business. So any artists out the, here.
3: You need the product to sell to make the brand. What happened? You need the product to sell to make the brand. Yeah, you need the product. I mean, the more the music- product does the you sell, sell, makes sell the, the brand. The music after, is still all... Almost- Do you sell product. Like, you, you, you have to start from somewhere. So you got to sell... Product, or you got to give out, samples. but now with
2: streaming and everything, people still, are not even selling still, products. But no product. the product still got
3: to be of quality, yes, yeah. You got to have the music, you got to have the music. Like, music is still the, be-all the end all be all at the end of the day. To the
0: music is gonna speak for itself. Do you
2: feel like I feel like sometimes the personality and the characters take precedence over the music sometimes. It, it helps,
0: I mean, it, it but you know, at the end of the day, we're in a music business. If you think about anybody that has longevity. You can have all the character and all the what you want, but you need that music to, to sustain and and you know and then, continue on.
3: And then after you have that music that builds the brand, then people will trust the brand and they'll start getting taking whatever, whatever you, you, want. you.
1: I mean, you see it. I mean, did? Jim is a perfect it, example.
3: It's it, it, that's how I got my deal with with the diplomat thing because I wanted a I wanted a million dollars from from Rockefeller when they signed. The Diplomats and gave Jewels and the Diplomats all that money. They dubbed me on that million. Dig? But I always told Cam, like, Diplomats, they don't care about where Diplomats is at. People want to see Diplomats. They're going to buy what Diplomats got.
1: And that was the That's brand. That's
3: how we went into Koch. Wherever y'all was at. Independent deal with Koch because they were going to still come buy them Diplomat records. And that ended up going, helping us get into the independent lane, What helped, helped me make a shitload of money more than most... A uh, major artist
1: was making. I mean, shit, Dipset had, had a legendary run, like seriously. And to be honest with you, like, let's say, like, two, between 2002 to 2008, like, you guys showed us, like, like as, as like I'm not an artist, but for the artists in the room, you showed us a real blueprint on how to do it. And even though there's things talk about buzzwords like metaverse, Web3, NFTs, whatever, but at the end of the day, it all comes back to the principal core. You got to have great product you got to know how to brand it to sell it. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And my one question I have for you is like, when you were doing the, the gangster Grill shit, did you ever see you be able to create a global brand that would result in a Grammy win?
0: Yeah,
1: nah. Let's me me let
2: me, let's get a clap for the Grammy. Can yeah, we yeah, give it the yeah, yeah. guy? Gra- he fucking Thank won a you.
1: Grammy That's off a Grammy. fucking mixtape, B. Thank you. Shout yeah, out to Tyler, the creator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout out him too. Yeah.
0: Genius. Genius mind. Um, Nah, I didn't see it going this far. I mean, I just wanted to get my name on a fly. That was my only goal, honestly. Damn. Like when I started DJing. So if somebody would have told me, like, the mixtape series that I started in Four Ford in Atlanta, you know, and in this little duplex crib, and I had artists come through and do freestyles, would one day be Grammy award winning. I, I didn't see that, you know. Nah. You know, man, it's just to tell you, sky's the limit. Like, Boy. you know what I'm saying? I mean, I didn't, I didn't see. I didn't humble. see Gangster Girls turning into an album. I didn't see me being here part of Generation Now and having to of the biggest artist in hip hop, you know, to date. Top of the charts
2: right now. So, all right. So, they tell Jack Harlow come home. Going. The we kids issue. We, we gotta, out tonight, we gotta, gotta go. Every, yes, they telling us we gotta. But mm. before we go, but before we go, I just want you everybody to make sure y'all teams, go check out Mining Diamonds. Those, oh. Yeah. Check out Mindy's Almonds. We have more extensive conversations about yeah. your business. But before we wrap, I just want to ask yes. you, both of you guys, y'all are y'all were creatives. Y'all are... Hey, hey, hey. We're not, we're not going yet. Okay. We're okay. not going yet.
3: Okay. okay.
2: So y'all are artists now turned executives, right? Is there anything that you can say to these people out here who want to make money in this industry? What are some of the new tools and resources that they have available to, to them that you see that you're employing in your business, that you're doing with your artists, like... What's something they could do today? Put them on a the path to generating income, big, big time.
0: You want to go, Jim? Um,
3: I, I, it, it may sound cliche, um, but we've been talking about it as. 10% music, 90% business, but you need that 10% music to get that 90% business, meaning that it's going to all start with the music, but be smart right. about it because there are so many different things that are available to artists that we didn't have when we was nice. coming up, such as the internet and social media, and we nice. watching... These kids get rich in million dollar deals off of piping up, off of getting they weighed up on social media platforms. So listen, it's all there for you. Like, it's, and there's no rules for this. It's like the Wild Wild West. What the kids have created is something that we're going to take for generations. Like that's something that the major record labels had to kept, catch up on because the kids figured out how to mani- manipulate the streams in their own favor. So it works for all of us now. The, the blueprint is right in front of you. Don't slip. Be realistic with yourself, though. If your music ain't hitting, don't play yourself. But, but this is the music industry. There's plenty of ways for you to get just as rich as most of these artists out here without having to rap. Trust me when I tell you that.
1: That's real Facts. shit. Because I don't rap. You know, and I, I was
3: just going to
0: say the same thing. You know, it's really about trusting the process. I mean, we all know how many platforms are out here with social media, with, you know, they, they TikTok, and you. T- they talk about algorithms and, you know, the numbers and all that, and all that is good. But at the end of the day, it's about a good product. It's about a, it's about the music. You know what I'm saying? It's about what you're putting in front of people and making a longevity, make being able to sustain and be here for a long period of time. And you know, I'm I'm a prime example of of reinvention. You know, I started out doing mixtapes as a DJ. I now run a record label, Generation Now, with two artists. You know, Little Uzi, Vert, Jack Harlow, Cedric. Major metrics, artists, major Pop. artists. You know, we are dropping an album now, so. You know, if you if you love this if you love this shit, you're gonna get your chance, you're gonna get your opportunity. And when you get your opportunity, when you get your chance, don't drop the ball. Please keep don't keep going.
3: You but. know what they say, when you can't stay motivated, stay consistent. You heard me? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Thank you very much. Appreciate you.